And now we move on to chapter 5 as we begin at verse 1 of 2 Corinthians. For we know that if our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven. If indeed, having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we who are in this tent groan, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed, that mortality may be swallowed up by life. Now he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who also has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always confident, knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, yes, well pleased, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. This is the written and the inerrant word of God. May it bless us with salvation. Let us pray. God, we come before you today and we ask you to speak to our hearts. Send your Holy Spirit we may have this word implanted in our heart that we might live. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Have you ever woken up in a cold sweat wondering if you were still alive or if this was what death looked like? Or maybe a little less extreme, have you ever wondered what your next experience would be if you died in your sleep. For those trusting in Christ for your salvation, I have good news for you today. Whoever wondered about these things, for as we read in verse 8, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And for the believer, as Paul writes in Philippians 1.21, to live is Christ and to die is gain. The picture is gloomier for those who do not know God, for those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. As we read in 2 Thessalonians 1.9, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of of his might. Today we will learn some of the weighty truths of the resurrection body and also the doctrine of the intermediate state, that state that is between when we die and when Christ comes again in glory. And it should be a reassuring sermon for us. As I hold out this great hope for you who believe the immediate presence of Christ the moment you die. And if you are not in Christ, if you're not believing in a saving way in him today, if 
yours is not the peace with God that you need for eternity, I hope that this doctrine of the resurrection and that this doctrine of the intermediate state will be like sweet nectar drawing a honeybee. That your heart will be drawn to Christ Jesus the Lord so that you do not suffer punishment on that last day. And indeed, a punishment that begins as soon as you die. But rather that you would know Christ and marvel at him on the day he is glorified in his saints. Second Thessalonians 1.10. Now we're going to walk through these verses that I just read, looking in them first specifically as God's inspired word, a written witness of God's revelation. And we're going to apply them first to Paul, the apostle. He wrote them, and it's often in the first person here in a way that we may better understand it if we first understand what it means for Paul. And what's the logic of it hanging together? But then, occasionally, we're going to generalize. We'll step back and take a look at it and how it applies to us. It makes sense, though, if we step into his shoes occasionally. As we consider these sections, verses 1 to 4, there's more beyond being clothed in the resurrection. In verses 3 through 8, there's more beyond fellowship with Christ. Finally, there's more beyond. We are prepared by God for more. Verses 5 through 8. You'll notice there's some overlap there, but picking up those themes within the general compass of those verses. So first, verses 1 to 4, there's more beyond being clothed in the resurrection. Now, leading into the passage here, we were finishing up in chapter number 4 and verse 17 last week that our light affliction is but for a moment, and it's working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Now, Paul's mind was obviously on eternity as he came into what we were reading today. His mind was on the outcome of his personal afflictions as an apostle, suffering at the hands of critics in the church in Corinth, suffering at the hands of uh, those who were pagans and objected to his gospel preaching, which set people free from idolatry. And so he's thinking about those afflictions and the weight of glory that it's storing up for him in eternity. And so perhaps he thinks here in verse 1 of chapter 5, you know, what if this really gets bad? And I mean like right now. What if the outcome of all this suffering ends in my death very soon at the hands of the Romans or at the hands of some accusatory Jewish mob like the one that attacked him in Lystra as recorded Acts 14, which I mentioned in the last couple weeks. What will happen to me personally as the weight of glory approaches? He shares this revelation from the Holy Spirit. John Calvin makes the point, this isn't something that Paul made up. This was direct revelation of God by the Spirit to help his servant and to help us. And he says in verse 1, 
For we know that if our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. His earthly body is described as a tent, like a Bedouin would use in the wilderness as he took care of his sheep, helping them find green pastures. It's a temporary place of living, just like this body is temporary. It's not going to last forever. It is a tent that will be replaced by a more substantial dwelling place. It says in verse 1, a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Now, now that word, not made with hands, is based on Jesus' own saying in Mark 14, 58. There were those who quoted Jesus. We heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and in three days I will build another not made with hands. You see, his earthly body was indeed a gift of God, Jesus's, but Mary was involved in it in some way, okay? And just like us, we have a building, our earthly body is a gift of God, yet there were fathers and mothers involved. But this eternal body is not made with hands. And it is something that is a, a miracle. It's an utter miracle, a building from God, eternal in the heavens. Also references made in Hebrews 9.11 to a tabernacle in heaven, not made with hands, eternal. Now, this connection is here given so that we see the difference between the resurrection body, which we'll receive at the last day when Christ comes again in glory, and our earthly body. It is something that is more. It's more beyond what we have now. Now, verse 2 and verse 4 here give more details on the method by which we receive a transformed resurrection body. Our present body involves significant groaning. We've had a lot of groaning this past year. It's the groaning of being involved in a pandemic that's not due to our particular sin, but related to the fallenness of humanity, that when humankind rebelled against God, they were cast into a degenerating, dying human race. And our world is experiencing that even this past year. And we have always experienced the weariness and tiredness of tilling the soil like Adam had to till it with the sweat of his brow after he rebelled from God. And women endure the pain of childbirth. And there's even the groaning of the whole creation. As we read in Romans 8.22, For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. As far as Paul's personal groaning is concerned, we see in verse 1, For we know that if our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed, we have a building from God. Paul is not sure if he will die before the second coming of Christ, with his earthly body being destroyed. 
decaying in the tomb. He accepts that it could happen if our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed. He is looking again to the second coming of Christ and that he will have a building with God. But the possibility exists that he won't die before Christ comes again in glory. If, in fact, he was alive when Christ came again in glory, directly upon Christ coming, his current body, his earthly body, would be transformed without being destroyed. And he desired that. But he wasn't sure that that would happen. You see, in verse 2, Paul desired to be clothed with that resurrection body, which is from heaven. He wanted that habitation, which is from heaven. And, and how could that happen for Paul? Verse 4, for we who are in this tent groan, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed. He didn't want to die but rather he wanted to be further clothed, that mortality may be swallowed up by life. His ideal outcome would be that he would not have to be unclothed by dying, but rather that the clothing of the resurrection would come upon him, making him further clothed. Now, Something like this had happened in the Old Testament. I'm not going to call them resurrection bodies because Jesus is the first fruits of them that slept. He began the resurrection. But there was something glorious about Enoch going to heaven and Elijah going to heaven, taking bodily into heaven without dying. Paul had learned of the transfiguration. You remember the story of how he went to the Mount of Transfiguration and his divinity was revealed it had been hidden most of his earthly life, but it was revealed to Peter and James and John. And there with him are Elijah and Moses. Elijah was an example of one who went straight to heaven. And Moses was an example of one who had died. It was buried on a mount. I think it was Mount Nebo. And then he was appearing here with Jesus. It can go either way. If Jesus comes again in glory, before you die, you will be given a new body without having this situation of being unclothed, but rather further clothed. And how does it happen? It happens because a new heavenly body is placed over your existing body. The Greek word here in clothed, when it says but further clothed, is epindusasthai, with the prefix epi, which means upon. Upon something is placed a new set of clothes, a new body. And the combination of that newness, which absorbs the old and transforms it, establishes both continuity with the past and a transformation for the new. Remember Jesus? That when Jesus came and he appeared to his disciples, he still had nail marks. There was continuity 
between what he was and who he was before. And yet there was newness. He walked through walls. He appeared and disappeared at will. And he had phenomenal, glorious quality. And yet he was like the old. He ate fish. He was a real being, a real, had a real body. And this is pointed out in our case in 1 Corinthians 15, 53. For the perishable, that's our earthly body, must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. And we see this is just beautifully expressed at the end of verse 4. Look at the end of verse 4. That mortality may be swallowed up by life. Life comes and swallows up the mortal. And this life is Christ himself, for he is the way, the truth, and the life. He personally manages this transformation. As we read at the end of chapter 3 of Philippians, who by the power that enables him to subdue everything to himself will bring, will transform our lowly bodies so that they become like his glorious body. So speaking more generally now for us and not just for Paul, Christ, the life, will bring a resurrection body to us and death will be swallowed up by life in one of two ways. If Christ comes before we die, it shall be swallowed up directly. As Hughes puts it, we who are in the tent dwelling groan being burdened by frailties and limitations, which does not mean that we wish to divest ourselves, but to put on over it, rather, the transforming heavenly garment so that the present mortal frame may be completely absorbed by life." Unquote. The second way in which death can be swallowed up by life is that the soul that exists between our death and the second coming of Christ that has left death here on earth and now lives unto God, that soul is swallowed up. It once had a death experience. And so that soul is now delivered from being without a body and it is brought into a resurrection state. And so... This actually happens at the last day when the last remains that we ever had, the last earthly remains, whether they were cremated or whether they were buried in the ground or whether they were slid off of a, a board into the sea during wartime, those last earthly remains, God supernaturally gathers them so that they are clothed with life and the soul comes back and inhabits that resurrection body. There's definitely more beyond our life in terms of a resurrection body. But there's also more beyond our life here in terms of fellowship with Christ, verses 3 through 8. No matter if we are alive when Christ comes again in glory, or if we die and then await the resurrection during an intermediate state, there's more fellowship with Jesus either way. More fellowship 
reading in verse 3. In light of verse 2, we read, If indeed, having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. He'd prefer to be transported immediately into the presence of Christ, but the possibility exists that he would be found naked. And this means that even if Paul does not get his heart's desire, he is still confident of good things. Look at verse 6. We are always confident, knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. And then verse 8. We are confident, yes, well pleased, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. He is still confident that it is better to not be in this body, but rather to be present with the Lord. And we too can say that. No matter how we leave this life, whether we die someday or whether we are transported and raptured, as in 1 Thessalonians 4, with our body from the grave brought forth and being clothed with a, a heavenly body, either way, we're going to be present with the Lord. We are absent from the body, present with the Lord. Instead of, verse 6, while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. We may say, well, I'm at home in the body now. I've got Jesus. What do you mean absent from the Lord? Absent in the fullness, as it says in 1 Corinthians 13. Now we see in a glass darkly. Then we shall see face to face. It's what I like to say, that when we die, we come into the nearer presence of the Lord. He's near to us now. Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 17, even when everybody was abandoning him, he said, the Lord stood at my side, but he didn't see him with his eyes. He knew he was there by faith. When we die, we will know the presence of the Lord personally. And we pick up on some of the qualities of this as we think about Revelation 6, verse 9. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? There is a real communication going on here between those souls and the God to whom they pray. They're not asleep. They're not in a soul sleep, as some cults suggest today. Rather, there's communication. And as we think about it, and we think about another portion of Scripture, it helps us understand what is this like. I can't give you all the details. I don't know all the details. But I do know there's communication, just like in the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. Now, the main point of that parable is we are supposed to take care of the poor. And another main point is you better listen to the Bible when it's preached to you, because if you won't listen to Moses... If you won't listen to the prophets, God is not going to send a special delivery good news machine to you. You listen to the Bible when it's preached. That's the major point 
of that parable. But along the line, we get little hints about what the intermediate state is. And I know it's a parable. It never happened in real life. But God is not deceiving us in his word. He's telling us true things, even on the sidebars of a parable. And one thing you learn is that the rich man is suffering. He wants some water to cool off his tongue because he is where there are flames. So that means if you die apart from Christ, you start suffering right away. Now, how do we know it's the intermediate state and not hell after the second coming of Christ? We know it because he's talking about his brothers. His brothers are still living down there on earth, and he's concerned about them. It's, it's right away when he died, he started suffering. Guess what you also learn about Lazarus? He was in a place of comfort, a place where he was comforted, Luke 16, 25. If you want comfort when you die, come to Jesus. Come to Christ today. It's a better place. That, that word is thrown around a lot at funerals, but Lazarus got a better place. The rich man did not. So many of you have suffered this past year. We live in a sorry world. We live in a suffering world. John Wycliffe translated part of the Bible, and he translated 84 verses 6 and 7 of the Psalms to talk about a veil of tears. The valley of Bacah is a veil of tears. We weep here because it is a difficult place to live. You have gone through much. Those you know have gone through much. And I'm not sure where this is going to end. So I left my pastoral letter sort of open-ended there. I'm not predicting the end. I left you with a Bible verse that my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. That's what God says to us. But I do know this, that if you believe on Christ, when you die, you will be comforted. If you don't trust in Christ, when you die, you will be tormented. Conscious communication and experience of reality. Come to Christ today. As Paul writes, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. Romans 14, 8. He also says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. Yes, we are confident. But how do you get there? How do you know for sure? Verses 5 through 8, we are prepared by God for more. We are prepared, as it says in verse 5, now he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who also has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. God will prepare you for eternity. He will send your, his Spirit upon you. He gives that spirit first to regenerate your heart. As it says in John chapter 3, that you must be born again. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And then he repeats, don't marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes. And you hear it sound. But you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born born of the Spirit. 
If you need God today, if you want to be sure when you die, you know comfort, then call upon God. Send your spirit. There's biblical warrant for that. For Jesus says that if a heavenly father knows how to give good gifts to his children, how much more, if, if an earthly father knows how to give good gifts to his children, how much more will the heavenly father give the spirit to those who ask him for it? Ask for the spirit today. That's what I say. Ask for the Spirit to save you today. And trust in the Lord. For that giving of the Spirit is what is talked about at the beginning of John 3. And then in the middle of John 3, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes on him will not perish but have everlasting life. You will not perish. You will not go through the flames of the rich man in the parable. You will not perish, but have everlasting life. And so we see that faith here in verse 7. Look at verse 7. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We walk by faith when we start believing. We walk by faith as we continue believing, as we deal with all the troubles of our lives and the troubles of our world and our relatives and our friends. We walk by faith, not by sight. We come into the presence of God, believing that he who began a good work in us will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ, until the day that he comes and gives us that heavenly clothing on our earthly body, which is the transformed resurrection body. Yes, the Holy Spirit is ours at good times of bad, times of rejoicing and times of disappointment, times of close fellowship, and then sad separation when we rebel and backslide, times of victory and flourishing, times of temptation and falling. The Holy Spirit keeps us, sanctifies us, for the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. The Spirit prepares us for the near presence of Jesus. He prepares us now to want to be with Jesus. Why would you want to die and go to heaven if you have nothing to do with Jesus now? Because Jesus is all over that place. Please, come trust in him and walk by the Spirit so you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. We walk by faith, not by sight. Come. It's tough. Yes, we're disappointed by Christians. We're disappointed by pastors. We're disappointed by Ravi Zacharias were disappointed by the mass killer in Atlanta who claimed to be a Christian and then justified killing eight women because he was trying to remove his temptation to sin. Uh, memo, that is not how you do it. That is not how you do it. If you're disappointed in God, disappointed in Christ, disappointed in leaders, Walk by faith, not by sight. 
hear these words of Paul. Many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to subdue all things to himself, will transform our lowly bodies so that they become like his glorious body. Dear flock, there is more beyond. To be clothed with the resurrection body like the glorious body of Christ is a privilege and an eternal destiny beyond compares. Yours is to enjoy the new heaven and the new earth without sickness, without COVID, without sin or sadness in any respect. No disappointment, no foregone dreams, no lockdowns, no quarantines. Yours is more in Christ. And as you contemplate this and you think about coming into the presence of Jesus, then think about these things. Think of the smile of his face, the solemnity of his dignity, the excellence and praiseworthy character of his righteousness. And think about that. Look upon that in the Bible revealed to you. And finally, be prepared. Now, to walk by faith, don't give in to sight the transitory, the temporary, but set your eyes on things which are not seen, but which are eternal. Let us pray. Will God work in our hearts that we may see Christ as Savior? that we would escape the coming judgment and that we would find comfort when we die. Unless, of course, you would come in glory today or tomorrow or at any moment. Whatever the case, we are confident. Yes, well pleased, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen.